Hey everybody, it's Travis here, your husband host. Uh, first, before we get the show started, I want to let you know I uh, had some technical difficulties in this one, so my mic sounds a little bit weird, but the episode is still really, really great, so I hope you enjoy. Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? I am very excited. What? Because you're here with me? Of course I'm here. Okay. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, see, my God. But we are being joined today by Jennifer Grayson. Jennifer, hi. I didn't see you there. <laughs> How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Doing so good. Will you introduce yourself and tell uh, the Schmanners listeners at home, or I guess in their car, or I don't know, wherever they are, a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So, hi, my name is Jennifer Grayson, and I serve as the Rabbi Aaron D. Pankin, Assistant Professor of Jewish History at Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. And I also have a secondary affiliation as a professor of history at Xavier University in Cincinnati. And I don't want to brag on you, but Jennifer has a PhD, uh, which I think makes her the smartest guest we've ever had. Absolutely. Absolutely. So really taking the show to a new level. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Really appreciate you being here. Really slumming it with us here on <laughs> no. uh, So specifically, we wanted to ask you some questions about Hanukkah. First of all, how's it spelled? Oh, gosh, that is the eternal question. Um, <laughs> okay, so basically you can spell it however you'd like. Hanukkah is a Hebrew word. It means dedication. So in Hebrew, it's spelled chet nun kaf hey. So the question becomes, how do you spell this in English? So the first letter is like a ch sound in Hebrew, and we don't really have that sound in English. So some people like to write Hanukkah with a C-H at the beginning of the word, uh, which sort of sounds like a German sort of ach, like a ch, that sort of guttural noise. But of course, that also gets confusing because some people look at that and read Chinooka, which mm. is not uh, accurate. No, that sounds like a city in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So sometimes you'll see that Hanukkah is spelled C-H-A-N-U-K-A-H. Interestingly, that's more true to the original pronunciation, the way that this would be pronounced in modern Hebrew today. Mm -hmm. Turns out, though, that that letter might have actually been pronounced more like a like like sort of a breathy H kind of during the time period of the Maccabees. And so some people prefer to spell it with an H or maybe with an H with a dot under it. Um, you know, it, it really just depends on whatever style guide you're using. So um, is it fair to say that it's more about saying it right than spelling it right? Absolutely. Uh, I do realize that in like 
I've gotten a number of sort of correspondences about Hanukkah in the past few, you know, days and week, and they all spell Hanukkah differently and often differently in the same document. I mean, it's just one of these things. I mean, to be fair, I, for whatever reason, I spelled the word restaurant differently every time. I spell it, so <laughs> I understand. it completely. Now I do. In all seriousness, I have a question. So I uh, it, it, do not celebrate Hanukkah and was raised a uh, Southern Baptist. Um, when I say Hanukkah, mm-hmm. is it, okay, is it weirder to make the guttural sound at the beginning or to not? Like, which one is, like, more, for lack of a better word, offensive, I guess? Is it weirder if I'm like, yeah, happy Hanukkah? Or is it like, yeah, no, don't do that? <laughs> um, I think it depends on who your audience is. I think saying Hanukkah sounds totally fine. Okay. I, you know, if you're speaking to somebody who's maybe... Israeli, uh, you know, you can definitely try the guttural, but uh, I don't think it's necessary. Okay. I just don't want to sound like somebody who, like, goes to, like, a Mexican restaurant and, like, when they're ordering only does, like, an accent on the dishes (laughs) when they're saying it. I don't want to be that person. Yeah, you don't want to be that person. Um. So I would I would actually like to know a little more about your personal background. Where are you from? Are you from Cincinnati? I'm not. I grew up in New Jersey, in Montclair, New Jersey, which is a town about 12 miles from New York City. And I grew up in a Jewish family uh, and, yeah, spent my whole life basically on the East Coast, uh, college in uh, Rhode Island. Uh, I went got my PhD at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And then I moved to Cincinnati about five years ago to take up uh, this position. That's awesome. Um what would you say are the the differences between like your childhood Hanukkah yeah. and the Hanukkah that you see kind of represented here in Cincinnati? Because I I do find that it's it's kind of a special thing here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati seems to take it more seriously, like a bigger deal out of everything, frankly. But also, we have a whole parade because the kind of beer comes out once a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Cincinnati does, um, I, you know, find whatever it can to celebrate, I think. Um, <laughs> That's a good way. We're just grasping at straws here in Cincinnati, whatever we can do to get through the cold month. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think there's a huge difference necessarily in terms of how the holiday is celebrated regionally. I think it's more maybe a difference in terms of how I experienced this as a child versus maybe how I relate to the holiday as an adult. Okay. Well, so, yeah, I was going to ask about that, too, because I I was told for a long time uh, growing up by my Jewish friends that, like, Hanukkah in comparison to Christmas is, like, not in no way a, like, major holiday in the grand scheme of things the way that Christmas is. Uh, in, you know, Christian culture at this point. Have you seen that evolve over time? Like Hanukkah getting a little bit more in the game as it goes? Yeah. So Hanukkah, it's a minor Jewish festival. It's really... So Jews have a lot of holidays. And most of the other Jewish holidays that you celebrate, like, there are a lot of things you need to do for them. Whether it's Passover, where you're having a huge Seder meal and... There are all of these restrictions on what you can and can't eat and all of these sort of required ritual foods to have and, you know, this huge sort of home-based celebration. 
Or, you know, even something like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, many Jews will sort of go to synagogue and for, you know, these very lengthy services and what have you. Hanukkah isn't like that. There's not really a lot there that you're sort of specifically supposed to do. So, so yeah, I mean, so in the context of the Jewish calendar, it's sort of like this minor festival. You know, it's fun. Uh, it celebrates a happy occasion, if you will. Uh, but it's not necessarily that big a deal. Of course, in relationship to Christmas, when you're Jewish in the United States, uh, it's really hard not to sort of be making that comparison. Especially, uh, I assume, for children, right? There's got to be yes. a lot of like, so what we get stuff too, right? Like, we're all on the same page about this, right? Right, because we're constantly, I mean, it it seems the Christmas creep yes. comes in earlier and earlier. And, yes. and, you know, even before like fall decorations are out, you know, the autumn leaves and pumpkins and whatnot, we start to think about Santa and boughs of holly and on all that kind of stuff, um, which doesn't necessarily have much to do with the Christian holiday of Christmas, but this kind of collective cultural winter Christmas celebration. Absolutely. Uh, actually, when I was very little, I remember I said to my mom, "Is you know, is it okay? I think Christmas is prettier than Hanukkah because uh, I loved looking at all the Christmas lights." And um, you know, and and I mean, she thought it was very funny, and she was like, "Yes, Christmas is very pretty, yeah. uh, but we have other holidays." I <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I think my favorite uh, like Jewish holiday is Sukkot with the the sukkahs around because I think that if I were a little kid, I'm like oh, we're gonna build like a fort outside. This rules. This is like if I was eight years old, I'd be so into it. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And so I think as a kid, you're very aware of you know this sort of Hanukkah Christmas thing. I guess you're asking, though, if it's kind of changed. And I think how it's maybe changed a little bit is that I think more people are aware of Hanukkah. Um, I think there are more these more sort of efforts to kind of include Hanukkah in the sort of broader sort of commercialization mm -hmm, of Christmas mm -hmm. and the holidays and what have you. So, you know, now you'll go to a store and they'll, you know, be selling random sort of Hanukkah paraphernalia you know if they're making a christmas quilt they're also going to sell a hanukkah quilt or something like that and mm. that's not really something that uh i remember seeing when i was younger in the same way uh, okay another thought has just occurred to me jennifer uh and once again mm -hmm. uh because of who i am and my general role in the show it might sound like i'm making a joke but i mean this in all seriousness <laughs> how um how for lack of a better word, because I can't think of anything else, like sacred is a menorah. And is it weird to see it like now as like a light up, you know, plastic blown thing sitting on a shelf next to like an inflatable Grinch? Is that like a weird thing or is it just like, eh, it's fine? I mean, I think a little from column A and a little from column B. Yeah, it's sort of a sacred thing. On the other hand, if the whole idea of Hanukkah is, you know, you're supposed to sort of celebrate the miracle and what have you. And I don't know. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're inflatable, like, manger scenes, yeah. too. I had to answer, but my five-year-old was like, what is that? And I just went, uh, a family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I figure, like, if you want to sort of go in the inflatable direction, I don't 
really think I should deny you the ability to do that for Hanukkah. <laughs> I think what is weird, though, is if you have a manger scene and then you put a blow up Hanukkah menorah next to it. Like, okay. you know, if like if you're Jewish and you want to just sort of go all out with the sort of, you know, blow up decoration thing, like go for it. But, you know, maybe, you know, don't don't just sort of try to insert a menorah, you know, in a place that maybe it doesn't really belong. It feels kind of like the like a mask of diversity where like, look at look at us. We've got everybody here at the party kind of thing. This is kind of a general question that like is more opinion based than fact based. So this is where we're going to cross out of your PhD for a moment <laughs> and just ask you, Jennifer Grayson, our new friend, this question. If we have like a listener who is Jewish, but likes the aesthetic of Christmas, do you think it'd be weird for them to just like decorate? Not necessarily with, all the iconography and stuff, but you know, the lights, the, the the greenery, the greenery, things like that. I don't know. I think that's really sort of a personal decision there. Uh, like for me, that would feel very weird. Um, and I also know that so many Jews now, you know, have a parent who celebrated Christmas or celebrates Christmas or have, you know, cr- family that does celebrate Christmas. And um, yeah. So going back to your question, I, you know, I think it's uh, about an individual's, uh, you know, decision about what they like and how they want to engage with this. You know, it, it wouldn't be my decision. But, um, you know, if you're like, you know what, I just like uh, the greenery and lights, um, you know, I, I think I think you can definitely do that as a Jew, though there are going to be a lot of Jews who also, you know, might disagree with that. Well, you know, we're all about, we do a lot of a wedding etiquette specifically, and there are a lot of traditions that we have sort of researched and found that, hmm, maybe not that one is for us. And so I think that it is, it's within the realm of the show to be like, if that's for you, that's fine. If it's not for you, that's also fine. I say this once again, having been raised Southern Baptist and having Christmas have a much more uh, spiritual significance than it does for me now. Um, But now I'm very much, especially with two kids, in the mindset of whatever makes it feel special for us and for our family and feels like this is the way we are meant to celebrate it. That's kind of the direction we go. And sometimes that's watching Muppet Christmas Carol like three times in a row in a single day. You know what I mean? And sometimes <laughs> that's just what life is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would like to ask, so as far as wishing someone glad tidings of the season regarding Hanukkah, what what do you think that we should advise our listeners to say? So much, So much goes through my mind as far as like movies and TV where you talk about the, um, the idea that quote, nobody says Merry Christmas anymore. But the thing is not everybody celebrates Christmas, obviously. So people go into happy holidays, which I think is great if you don't know someone very well and you have, you know, it's just a, like a general passing kind of thing. But if you know someone is Jewish and celebrates Hanukkah and other holidays. Is it appropriate to wish them happy Hanukkah? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, say happy Hanukkah. I guess the one thing I'll say is, so there's a real kind of Christmas season in the U.S., which I don't know, I guess Mm -hmm. starts 
maybe sometime like the week before Halloween at this point. Um, yeah. If if not sooner, <laughs> yeah. I saw stuff in late September. Ugh, don't get me started. I'm a Halloween kid. Ugh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Hanukkah is an eight day holiday, and the Jewish calendar it's a most it's a it's a lunar calendar. Uh, so that means that it doesn't always fall on the same date. So, you know, I think the nice and respectful thing to do would be to, you know, Google it, find out when Hanukkah is that year, uh, you know, and don't just sort of assume that you can say happy Hanukkah anytime between, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. That is a great point. Absolutely. Uh, because it does kind of get lumped in that happy holidays jargon when it might be past Hanukkah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or it could be like, you know, a month in advance and it's just, you know, yeah. Okay. So follow up question to that. <laughs> so say I'm hanging out with my Jewish friend and I want to make small talk about their holiday plans <laughs> or like how their holiday went, anything like that. Is there like, oh, ask them about this, make sure to like check in on this and that will show that like you're invested in their experience and you're not just like kind of muddling your way through it. Are there any like oh, yeah, ask about this. This is always important. This is something they probably did. Anything like that? I feel like when we were, when I was a kid, it was, what did you get for Hanukkah? Yeah. <laughs> um, you got a new Swatch watch? That rules. It was always that. Oh, I think I did get a Swatch watch. That's really funny. There you go. I think there was actually a two-year period where every child was issued a Swatch watch <laughs> by, like, I don't know, the world government or something. Like, every kid had to get one. <laughs> And then, like, two years later, everyone just stopped uh, wearing them. Yeah. yeah. I think they actually just disintegrated all the <laughs> It just, like, melted. Like, oh, well, that's the end of Squatch Watches. Okay. Um, I think you could ask your friend, you know, do you have any plans for Hanukkah? The fact is, you know, it's not like other Jewish holidays where there's necessarily a ton of things that are very specific that uh, one might be doing. I wouldn't necessarily assume that they're making a huge point or plans to, you know, travel far to see their family for Hanukkah. Um, yeah. So, I'd, you know, I think you could ask, you know, do you have any plans for Hanukkah? This week, we want to write a thank you note to Aura. Between your photos, finances, devices, and connections, your world is more online than ever. You may have security systems in place for real life, but what about your online life? Aura can sound the alarm if your digital presence is at risk. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast. Like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or if someone tries to open a bank account in your name. Aura is easy to set up. All plans come with a $1 million in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds and experienced customer support that's got your back. With an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners up to 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com slash schmanners. Go to Aura.com slash schmanners to get complete protection and savings of up to 40%. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash schmanners. Let me ask you this. Every day, do you feel like maybe you're eating the same thing over and over again? Perhaps a Groundhog's Day experience, if you will. It's so easy to fall into this. I know that Teresa and I, especially with two kids, 
uh, you know, you start to feel like you're just making the same, like, four things over and over again that you know the kids will eat, that you know how to do, that you know is fast, all of those things. Well, lucky for you, and lucky for us, frankly, there's fresh and ready meal delivery from Sunbasket. It's restaurant-quality food packaged up, delivered to your home, and ready to heat and eat. And man, when it says restaurant-quality, it means it. This is some good stuff, folks. You're going to feel like you're sitting in a five-star restaurant, even if you're just like watching some SpongeBob or Bluey. I don't know, whatever you guys are into. Fresh and ready meals arrive fresh and fully prepared by award-winning chefs. Their chefs are award-winning. And when I say award-winning, we're talking about like Michelin stars and James Beard awards. So like legit stuff. And they work hand-in-hand with dietitians, so the whole menu is dialed, delicious, and good for you. I love it. You'll love it. Our whole family loves it. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $90 off your first four deliveries, including free shipping on the first box when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter promo code schmanners at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter the promo code schmanners at checkout for $90 off your first four deliveries and free shipping on your first box. sunbasket.com slash schmanners and enter the promo code SCHMANNERS. Hi, it's Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. It's the Thanksgiving season, and I want to take this opportunity to thank you, the members of Maximum Fun. This Max Fun Drive, your generosity and your love of pins, helped us raise over $90,000 to help bridge the digital divide. Families without internet access struggle to do things that the rest of us might take for granted, especially during COVID. Going to school, applying for jobs, finding medical care. Your donations help the nonprofit Everyone On. They provide equipment, services, and training to get people online so they can access opportunity. You can find out more about the great work Everyone On does at everyoneon.org. Thanks for supporting Maximum Fun. Thanks for supporting everyone on. And thanks for being awesome people who want to do good in the world. Is there? Is it a big eating holiday? Is it like, you know... Uh, We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is basically the best part about Thanksgiving is the eating. Yeah. Is it like, can you ask about like... What you have any good food? So you know, what, what was the is that like a weird thing to ask? I guess sort of tradition is to eat uh, a lot of fried foods, uh, foods what? fried in oil. That rules. Yes. What? So uh, something. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm 100 bought in now. Tell me more about this. So, so the there's the story that uh, you know when the Jews go to rededicate the temple. They only have enough oil to last for one night. And then miraculously, it lasts for eight nights. And to remember this uh, miracle, uh, you know, it's traditional to eat food that's fried in oil. So potato latkes. I didn't know the oil extended to the cooking. Oh my God, this rules. Okay, yes. sorry, go on. So- <laughs> I'm, 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 like I said, Southern. And I'm so deep oh, in Oh yeah, now. no, okay, I mean, it's on. true. It, it, I think Hanukkah works very well with... Uh, Southern cuisine. Um, so traditionally, e- Jews from Eastern Europe eat latkes, which are potato pancakes. There's also a tradition, this is um, something you see a lot in Israel, of eating these sort of fried jelly donuts called sufganiyot. Um, you know, so... That sounds delicious. It's, it's really good. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there are other communities have traditions of eating dairy on the holiday. Which is why I've probably seen latka served with sour cream instead of applesauce. Yes, that might be one reason. Yes. Uh, you know, there's the um, I think there's sort of two sides of the coin is like, you know, are you an applesauce person or a sour cream person there? <laughs> Wait, which one are you? Applesauce. OK. Yeah. I see. OK, this is another like cringy question that I have to. Is the dreidel actually like a thing that people do at Hanukkah? Or is it just we hear it in the songs, yes. right? Um, so yes, it's a children's game. Uh, the dreidel actually has, um, a very weird history, which I can talk about if, uh, that would be yes. of interest. Um, you can't introduce the idea of weird history and us be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yes. think if you ever play dreidel, it's pretty boring in my opinion. I mean, um, but when I was growing up, I, you know, I was told this story and I don't, who knows? Uh, but I was basically told the story that the dreidel was this toy that when the Jews were hiding from the Greeks and like studying Torah in secret, they would like take out, you know, if the, the soldiers came by, they would take out these spinning tops and pretend that they were just playing a gambling game. And that's where the dreidel comes from. So it turns out that that's not true at all uh that's oh i'm so glad that you said that because my my wikipedia and google isms told me that story about how it was kind of like a covert game of learning or that it was like the the dreidel was made to look like a toy so that it could be in hiding yes so the earliest reference to that story dates to the year 1890, which is pretty uh, recent. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. yeah. 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 And grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. And the earliest references to Jews playing dreidel actually don't date till the 18th century. So it's a pretty recent phenomenon, at least kind of in the span of Jewish history. Um, and, you know, it might have had some origins in the ancient world as sort of this gambling game where you'd spin a top. Uh, but we really first hear about a version of this uh, actually in England. So during the late Middle Ages, it's this spinning top game called, uh, it's either Titum or Titotum, and it was commonly played around Christmas time. Um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, basically a gambling game, probably, you know, something, I, I guess it doesn't take a lot of uh, brain power or focus to really play. And, you know, might be played in a tavern or something like that. Like a dice game or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so the tops all had letters on each side and that would tell you, you know, what to do. Like, you know, when you land on this letter, uh, that means that you, you know, get take all of the money in the pot or something like that. Oh, so not like Twister where it's just like, oh, you landed on this, now right hand blue. <laughs> it's about like the game. Okay, got it. Ga gambling. Did you miss that part? You could gamble on Twister. <laughs> I, okay. I, I'm speechless. I don't know. <laughs> I've been in some weird back rooms at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Sounds like it. So anyway, so this game becomes really popular by the 16th century and it spreads to Germany and that's probably where Jews first encounter it um, in the German lands in Central Europe. And it's a game that's commonly played in the winter around Christmas time, you know, maybe because, you know, you can sort of sit near a fire and spin a top and play this. Um, not a lot of harvesting to do. Yeah. Not, not a lot of other things 
that people of that age would really have to do. Plus, kids love spinning things. Even now, my daughter will sometimes sit on her iPad to pick up some yo-yo or something. I don't know. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is uh, pretty universal. Uh, so anyway, so Jews in Central Europe encounter this game, and they call these spinning tops dreidels, which uh, comes from either a German or Yiddish word that means to spin. But what they do is that they actually... So the letters on the side of the dreidel, which were written in German, Yiddish-speaking Jews actually, you know, basically transliterate those letters into the Hebrew alphabet, so into uh, Yiddish at the time. So the German letters were like N, which would have been like nicht, which means none. Uh, and then there was, you know, G, H, and S, and each of these you know, refer to a German word that says, you know, either you take everything, you uh, take half, or you put a token in. Um, and so the Jews transliterate these into Hebrew. So the, the N for nicht uh, becomes the Hebrew letter nun. So at some point after that, this gets associated with Hanukkah, and somebody decides that the four Hebrew letters on the dreidel actually uh, stand for this Hebrew phrase, Neskadol Hayasham, which means a great miracle happened there, uh, referring to the Hanukkah miracle. And then after this happens, somehow you have all of these other Jewish writers who in the 19th century who are claiming that the dreidel has this sort of mystical significance of, you know, in all of these kind of different ways. There are, it, it, that is so, it reminds me so much of so much in the Christmas, like, like Santa Claus is the best example, where it's just like people retroactively have like ascribed all this stuff. It's like, well, mostly he looks the way he does because of Coke ads. <laughs> like, it's, and then people are like, well, then the, oh, the ancient man, Chris Kringle, and it's like, ah, that's, that's not it. I don't think this is it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's basically this like 14th century English drinking game, or drinking and gambling game that just sort of turns into this symbol of the celebration of Hanukkah. There you go. We, we love these turns and twists on Schmanners because it really just, it really just goes to show that a lot of the stuff that we do today that we think was, you know, so uh, that we think was ingrained for some kind of like higher purpose or, or well, that people have done forever. That people have done forever. Turns out usually the Victorians. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have a whole, we have a whole series that we do on just like idioms. And there will be ones where it's just like, you think that this is just like, no, people have said this forever. And you're like, well, the first example of it's like 1949. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon, but I, but is there two questions? First, any like, and here's like a surprising thing that your, you know, general audience might not know about Hanukkah that you'd like to share. And also, I don't know. I mean, other than the dreidel thing, which was fascinating. Um, and I don't know. Do you do podcasts? Do you write books? Do you do anything you want to tell people about? Yeah. What do you want to plug today? <laughs> um, well, let's see. So um, I think, first of all, if you're audience is interested, you know, one one of the questions that I think your producers asked me was if, you know, your audience is interested in learning more about Hanukkah, you know, what should they go to? Yes. Um, and I was thinking a lot about this because, you know, and especially thinking about, you know, what would be good for children and all of my sort of references for this stuff are like 
totally from the nineties. Um, so one, so, so one thing I, you know, thought of, uh, actually the Rugrats Hanukkah special, shockingly good, still really holds up and it's now on Paramount. Nice. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, for more sort of recent, uh, resources for celebrating Hanukkah, uh, pjlibrary.org uh, has great resources for families that want to celebrate Hanukkah, want to learn about Hanukkah, and they also uh, send children's books. Uh, you can sign up to have uh, children's books delivered uh, to your home that are kind of high quality and educational and well done. That's awesome. fantastic. Anything you would like to plug? Sure. For yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, check out, um, I, I don't actually have uh, social media or Twitter, but um, I would, uh, you know, if I'm you- I'm so jealous. <laughs> um, if you want, if you want to uh, learn more about my work or the work of my colleagues uh, at Hebrew Union College, it's um, I teach at the oldest uh, rabbinical seminary in North America. Uh, it's sort of the center of uh, Reform Judaism in North America. Uh, go to huc.edu and you can learn more about what we do and about our research. And there are also a lot of resources there um, about. Uh, Jewish history and Jewish culture. Well, that's amazing. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for joining us. Uh, everybody at home, I don't know, give a round of applause for Jennifer. <laughs> she, she can't hear you, but maybe she'll feel it. Wherever you are. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. Season four of Star Trek Discovery is here, so listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.